Welcome again. Glad to have you here today. Thanks for braving the indoors when it's so sunny outside. Appreciate that. We are in uh, part 13 of uh, our series in Ephesians. 13 weeks already. It's amazing. And uh, a lot of times when I'm, someone finds out I'm preaching, they'll ask me, oh, is Pastor Bob on vacation? And occasionally that is true. Believe it or not, even Pastor Bob needs rest. Not a lot, but sometimes he'll get some rest. More often, though, it's, it's uh, an occasion like this week is why I'm preaching. Something you might not know about sermons at Gateway, and that is uh, they take more than one, it takes more than one week to prepare a message for the weekend here. So, you know, you don't even have to be good at math to figure out that eventually that's a problem. So uh, this week... Pastor Bob has been able to uh, think about the whole rest of the, the weeks in Ephesians. I don't know how many that is, six or eight more weeks, something like that. And uh, I could take a couple weeks to think about this weekend. So that's what's happening. We're looking at uh, Ephesians 4, 17 through 32. Now, I did think of another option for us as, you know, I'm just trying to problem solve. And I thought, now, what would it be like if uh, instead of doing prep, you know, I just came in and I opened up a Bible and we read Ephesians 4, 17 through 32, and I just kind of, I don't know, talked about that for 35, 40 minutes, and then, then we could think about it together afterwards. But I kept hearing you say things like, you know, what were you thinking? And then I would say, well, I wasn't thinking, that was the point. You know, I thought we would think about it afterwards, and, you know, then I started hearing my mom and your moms, you know, <laughs> all at once saying... Think before you speak, right? We've all heard it so many times. We've thought it. And in a lot of ways, that's kind of what we're thinking about this morning. Thinking before we do anything, really. Before we even get to living our lives. That's our subject. Paul has a question for us. He says, as we get to verse 17 in chapter 4, Are you living backwards? Are you living, are you approaching your life backwards? Remember in the last section, uh, Bob was actually there for two weeks. Uh, Paul mentioned uh, people as he looked out on life. He says, you know, you don't want to be spiritually immature. You don't want to be someone who, who looks like they're being tossed about, you know, by wind and waves. And they're just kind of, your life goes over here and then it goes over here. And it's just up and down and all around. It's like, you don't want to be like that. I think he's still got that imagery in his mind a few verses later here. In Ephesians 4, and he wants to make sure we're not approaching life backwards. Here's what I mean. Let's look at the verses, starting in verse 17. Paul says, I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. ...due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality... ...so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Wow, there's a real pick-me-up section of the Bible, isn't it? You know, start your day with those cheery words. I don't know if Paul had something bad to eat, but he is definitely down on something here. He's talking about some people. Who's he talking about? He says, don't be like the Gentiles... Now, you know from our series already, Paul's writing to a church in Ephesus, and I don't know, at least half the group are Gentiles, right? So, you know, he's, he's not talking to them, apparently. 
he's really not even using a, a label so much as he's talking about people who approach life from a particular way. We're going to see a little bit more about that. It's not their birth status. It's people with a particular problem. What's the problem that we're to avoid, the problem they had? Well, certainly there's a lot of sin going on here. We can see that. You know, it's, it's kind of all over the place with uh, impurity and sensuality and lust and all this stuff going on. But the problem is deeper than their actions. Their problem is a thinking problem. Notice that there's a futility of their thinking. He goes on and says they are darkened in their understanding. These people have an ignorance in them. Now, he's not saying they're idiots. This is not an IQ test. Probably among these people he's thinking about are architects and and physicians, and philosophers, and teachers. It's not an IQ problem. It's a thinking problem, though. Their thinking, he says, has been skewed. It's been set in the the wrong direction. Why? Because their actions. He says they've given their behavior over to something. What? Given it over to, to unreliable emotions, emotional desires, Their their sensuality, their lust, started from some deeper kind of desire. It's just taken over. It's in the driver's seat of their lives. And that has driven their behavior. And that has clouded their thinking. Now, what happens when we approach life without God's influence? I think that's what he's talking about here. I think that's what he means by Gentile. You know, anybody, it doesn't really matter their label or their status in life or their IQ. That's not really the issue. It's not their nationality. It's, It's approaching life without God's influence. That's what he's talking about. Now, when we do that, we're still going to listen to something, right? We, we never live in a total vacuum. You approach life without God's influence, you're still going to listen to the loudest voice. I think Paul is saying, absent of God's influence in your life, the loudest voice is going to be your emotions, your desires. And if you put them in a place of being in the driver's seat in your life, they're just going to be these unchecked desires, Your feelings, your emotions are loud. Your desires are demanding. They're persuasive. Every one of us have that uh, I want monster running around inside. You know? That thing checks in with us every day of the week. I want. (laughs) I really want that. When we let those things just run. We find that our desires at their most kind of natural base are self-serving and they're self-promoting and they're self-protecting. Those are the things we want to do, right? We want to take care of ourselves, want to promote ourselves, want to protect ourselves. Then it says, Paul is saying, that their behavior was driven by that. What kinds of behaviors? What kind of actions? Well, whatever it takes, you know? If I want something badly enough, and I'm just going to follow that desire, then I will act to to get that desire met, that need met. I'll be driven by that need. And then then we get around to thinking. And what are we going to think at this point? We're going to think whatever it takes to normalize what we've done, to justify our behavior. That's what Paul's talking about. That's the kind of ignorance, that's the kind of futility 
Paul is getting at. When our thinking follows up all of our lifestyle and says, well, this is why I had to do it. Had to take care of myself. I was flip, flipping through the channels the other night and, you know, you go from the Olympics to uh, I don't even know what shows we're on. You're just like right in a row. You hear this. Well, I had to take care of myself. Well, I couldn't, you know, I have to, I got to do what's right for me. And, you know, it just kept coming out at me. I don't know, maybe because I'm studying this. But in, in a 10-minute span, you can hear it any channel you want. Got it. I just I have to do that because I got to take care of myself. Now, what about your feelings? Your feelings are important. God put emotion into you. He designed you as an emotional being. That in and of itself isn't a bad thing. Let's take for a ma- uh, uh, for a second. Imagine your uh, desire is to be loved or to be respected. Now, those things flow from a really legitimate need in your life. And those are reasonable desires. Here's the point, though. Those desires just aren't a good compass for your behavior. They just don't belong to be in the driver's seat. Legitimate needs, reasonable desires even. But if they take over, they'll push you to unreasonable, unhealthy, sinful things. I don't know anything about sailing, so there's the disclaimer right off the bat. But what I imagine I could know about sailing, when I think about it, I think maybe this is a little bit like wind to a sailor. Now, if I were a sailor, I imagine that my feelings, how, you know, what would I think of wind? I, I think I would find it's very important. I think I would uh, value wind, right? I think that I would find it very useful, but if I'm a good sailor, I don't let wind decide where I go, right? Isn't that what, uh, that's my impression. Sailing is about using the wind, but still going where you know you need to go, right? So you value it. It's important to you. You just don't let it rule. You don't let it be in charge as a sailor. Now, if any sailors out there, you know, you can come tell me afterwards if I'm wrong. But anyway, it makes sense to me. See, on its own, in a driver's seat, even a good desire will push you to a place where you're willing to compromise your values, where uh, you will choose even destructive actions and behaviors, wanting satisfaction at any cost, and you'll end up just justifying what you did. And Paul says, that's living backwards. You got it all backwards. And he says, I insist you don't live like that. Here he has something else in mind. He says, you need to get your thoughts in order. You need to get your thinking out in front of your life. You need to get your thinking way out in front of your desires, your emotions, your feelings. They're important too, but you got to get your thoughts in order. Here's what he says, starting in verse 20. You, however, unlike the Gentiles, even though some of you are Gentiles... (laughs) did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, the way Gentiles live, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. How's that happening? Well, because you keep following after him. You keep putting your desires in charge of your life. That's how it messes you up. He says, you were taught not to do that. And he says, to be made new in the attitude of your minds 
and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now that's a reliable compass. Paul is saying, get your thoughts out in front of you and, important piece of the puzzle, make sure it's Christ's thoughts that are out in front of you. His thinking, his approach to life is what you will find dependable. And then you'll be able to choose your actions, your behavior, your lifestyle based on his approach to life. And then your feelings, important as they are, unreliable and sometimes deceitful if you just let them have control. Nevertheless, your feelings, you can lead those. Jesus says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Invest your life in the right places and you will love the right things. Lead your feelings. So we want to get Christ's thoughts in our mind. His approach to life. Now, how did he approach life? We could turn to a lot of passages. I don't know. If, you, if, you, if I said uh, just one passage. Give me one passage that kind of describes how Jesus approached life. What would you come up with? I don't know. This is what I came up with. With Luke chapter 9. There's probably other good ones. But uh, one day Jesus says, if anyone wants to come after me, want to be a Christ follower, then he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very soul? Here, Jesus says, is how I approach life. Now, it looks backwards, and if it looks backwards, that's because we're people who've been living backwards. <laughs> He's got it the right way around. So, of course, you know, when you're living backwards, everybody who's living forwards looks backwards. You get it? It's all in the, the mirror thing. He's like, here is actually the way you want to go. You want to live for others. You want to lay down your desires, and he says, if you follow me in this approach, here's what ends up happening. You actually find life and the very things you desired. You get there in a different way than you would have expected, certainly than you would have gone on your own, but you find life. You try and grab it for yourself, you find that it slips through your fingers. That's how Jesus approached life. Did, was he able to accomplish anything with that approach to life? <laughs> yeah. Everything we've looked at in the book of Ephesians, uh, chapters 1 through 3 in particular, as, as we've talked about what God has done in us to allow us to be something, right from uh, chapter 1, verse 3, the, the, the chance that we have, the opportunity that we have to know the love of God, to experience the love of God, that's ours because Jesus approached life in a way that he was willing to take up a cross. All the way through every single weekend to right up to last week, as Pastor Bob talked about, God gives us gifted people around us in our life to help us, to encourage us, to minister to us. That was accomplished because Jesus approached life for others, laying down his life for others. He says, you will find that this works. You will find it a reliable way to live, but you got to get your thoughts in order. It needs to be 
Christ's approach. Now, what's this look like? I mean, really, on a Tuesday morning, you know, Thursday evening, what's it look like to live thoughtfully with Christ's thoughts out in front of us? Paul goes on here, and, and we're going to fly through the rest of this chapter uh, with our, the remainder of our time here, thinking about living thoughtfully. Paul's going to say you need to think before you act. We're going to have a bunch of examples here. Most of these, interestingly, are on communication. All of them are about relationships. Fascinating, Paul says, as you, as you uh, practice getting Christ's thoughts in your head. <laughs> Here's where apparently we need a lot of help in relationships. Here's the first one. As he, he gives us, and we're going to see, be able to break these down because he kind of follows a formula. He says, don't do this, do this because, and he gives us a reason. That's what we're going to find with every example. The first one is think before you explain. Before you look out at your world and try and explain how it works, or before you look at your life and try and explain why you did what you did, explain yourself, you need to make sure you do this. Ephesians 4.25 says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Really simple formula. Don't lie. Tell the truth. Why? Because when Christ guides your life, you are going to value the people around you way too much to give them anything other than the truth. Anything other than your true self. When Christ leads your life. Now, when is truth telling a challenge for us as people? I think it's when we have those desires to serve ourselves, to promote ourselves, or protect ourselves. And we, and we have those desires running in us strongly enough to make us redefine what is real. And suddenly the truth becomes negotiable, it becomes subjective, it becomes, well, my truth, your truth. I've heard all that. We struggle with this as, as individuals. From, uh, from the child with his hand in the proverbial cookie jar, you know. Why does the child suddenly now seem to think that the dog ate the cookies? You know. I'm really feeling the need to protect myself here. <laughs> right? Or as an as a applicant for a, a new job, really needed job. The desire to promote ourselves starts rising up. <laughs> How true... Are we in our explanations of our capabilities or our job history or something else about us? Or we have a friend and, and we really desire an uncomplicated kind of life and relationship and suddenly there's an untrue explanation of our feelings or opinions just to keep things calm. We struggle with it as individuals. We struggle with it then, of course, as a society. And you will find this struggle exhibited in science in politics, oh, don't get me started, education, the media, in commerce, are we really surprised as you sit back and you think, you know, it seems like they're more interested in their agenda than what's real. Yeah, they are. They have something else in mind other than you. So truth becomes a kind of currency translate that into what I want it to be. Now, 
Here's the interesting thing as we move through these things in, in uh, the, these examples that Paul gives us. They can really look like rules. In fact, I can imagine someone going, hey, you know, you guys always talk about Christianity. It's a relationship. It's not a religion. It's not rules. And then I look in Ephesians 4, starting in verse 25. Looks like a series of rules to me. And I can understand how it sounds that way. But that's if you miss his point. See, if you're struggling with truth-telling or you're trying to not misrepresent things or or falsehood, if you treat this like a rule, it's not going to help you very much. If all this is to you is don't lie, it might help you today, but good luck by Wednesday. See, but Paul said so much more than that. He said, you're going to have Christ's thoughts in your mind, particularly about the fact that you are one body. You are in a love relationship with God's family. And as you look around that, as you have that thought in your head, it will transform your values till when you look at the people around you, you love them enough to want them to have the truth. See, it has changed who you are. Now you're going to find some traction. You're going to get some traction. You're going to find some success in putting aside falsehood. Think before you explain. Here's another one. Ooh, think before you vent. Oh, sorry. I, he put it in there. I, this wasn't my idea, okay? It just The verse came up. <laughs> think before you vent. Wow. Okay, so we know this is an issue. Let's just read the verse. (laughs) He says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Sounds ominous. Okay, so formula. Don't spew, you know. Don't do that all over the people you supposedly love. Do process anger, okay? You, You... You know, you've got some, you run into it, so do process that. Why? Because Christ's thoughts, his guiding your life values something tremendously, and that's freedom. You desire to be free. Christ has set you free. Truth sets you free. Why would you return to bondage again? And anger is bondage waiting to happen. See, will my frustrations take over my life? Or could I desire a healthy resolution to guide my actions? Now, here's something I know uh, about you guys. Okay, even if I've never met you, I do know at least one thing about you. Sometime in the last four weeks, six weeks, I don't know, you pick a time frame, you've been angry. Sorry, it's kind of rude of me to bring that up. But I know that about you because it's, it's an emotion. It's a human emotion. And of course, as we rightly often point out about this verse, it's not do not be angry. Just don't sin when you're angry. So I know you've been angry. Now, here's something else I know that with a, with a crowd this size, actually, we could have a crowd a lot smaller and this would still be true. When I say I know you've been angry you have maybe one of about four responses to that. First of all, there's a group of us that when I say, I know you've been angry, some of you will 
will think immediately, yeah, <laughs> you're right, I've been angry. And come to think of it, thank you very much, I still am. <laughs> Another group of us would say, yes, <laughs> I was angry, and it is such a mess. I made such a mess. <laughs> I made it worse. Another group of us would say, <laughs> love this group. <clears throat> well, I'm in it, so anyway. <clears throat> Say, no, I haven't. <laughs> and I would say, yes, you have. No, yes. But you have. You can ignore it. You can stuff it. You can try and hide it, and it's there. It's an emotion. You've been angry. And then another group of us, you know, hopefully would say, yeah, but... I, you know, I've gotten beyond that, or we moved through that, or we processed that, or we got somewhere new, or, you know, we're working on it, and that kind of thing. Now, here's the deal. Obviously, we want to be people who process our emotions and process our anger in a way that Christ would guide us through it. But, but that's exactly the point. You see, the, the first three options are opportunities, Paul says, for Satan to do something, to complicate your life, to mess it up. How's he going to do that? Well, because anger is something that will get us to live backwards just about as fast as anything. I'm angry, and therefore, of course I'm going to do this. Of course I'm going to react. Of course I'm going to, and then whatever it is you do when you're angry. As though that's the only choice. Or as though you deserve to do that now at this point. How often do we think that? Well, you made me angry, so I get to... <laughs> Anger's a huge topic. We have to just keep on moving. Some of you are glad. But anyway, if we're going to get to be the people who process it, we need Christ's thoughts to be louder in our thinking than all those churning emotions. We're going to have to turn up the volume on what Jesus says and how he informs our life. He's got to be a lot louder than our anger. Think before you vent. Next one, think before you take. Interesting one. A lot of ways, uh, you know, Paul's talking about all these communication things, and then he drops this one in here. Kind of strange, but think before you take things, before you claim things, before you possess things, before you use things and consume things. He says to the Ephesians, he who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Easy formula again, don't steal, do work. Why? Because when Christ guides your life, what do you find? You find that generosity is a more satisfying way to live than hoarding and consuming. Jesus said it's better to give than to receive. He didn't say it was more holy or it makes God smile. He says it's actually better. You will find it better for your life. Now, not many of us are thieves, I suspect. Not many of us uh, have a struggle with this in such a way that, for example, the state of Washington or the Washougal police are going to 
put that title on us of thieves, but you understand that stealing is just you know, an, an extreme action of many actions that are on the same continuum. And, and, and while they're not all equal and they're not all as bad as the others, here's the thing all of these actions have in common. That is, <clears throat> things that we do simply because we want to. Claiming something, taking something, using something, simply because you desire it. Just wanting something has never, ever been enough rationale for taking something. Right? That's what a thief does. Hey, mug with a plane on it. I like planes. I think it's going to be mine. Uh, It belongs to someone else, but... I don't care about that. I want it. It's enough. That's never been good enough. That's never been a good enough reason for taking, claiming, or using anything. When we, when we do that, we buy things we can't afford. And now the money that we used on that, or the credit, the debt we used on that, now, we, now it can't be used for what it should have been used with. Our life is complicated. We eat things that aren't good for us. We hoard things that God meant for us to share. We waste time on meaningless activities. All these things taking simply because we desired it. And it's never enough reason. Now that doesn't mean that there aren't times for you to have things or buy things or own things. Of course there are. All I'm saying is that desire is not enough. It's not enough. When we think Christ's kinds of thoughts, when we get to be other-centered, when we're laying down our life or picking up our cross, we're not nearly as likely as to take for desire alone. We're going to think it through. An important lesson for us. Now, we have a new opportunity uh, here at Gateway to kind of practice this. Actually, uh, you know, most of us find that Gateway is a church that, that uh, well, y- you all really care about other people's needs. We have a, a new ministry that's just started. Uh, Bill Rush has led this, and if you know him, you can thank him. But uh, we, we've got a food pantry, and we do the run at Thanksgiving. We've got uh, food boxes and all that kind of good stuff. We have a deacon fund that helps a little bit with some financial things every once in a while. But uh, Bill came and said, you know what, we need to do more. Because there are all these kinds of practical expressions of ways, things, people need something, right? And uh, so we're like, hey, let's, let's do more. So we're starting the see a need, meet a need ministry. Here's how it works. When uh, you, you, can, uh, you can participate in a couple different ways. First of all, uh, you can call us or you can send us an email. This is gc at gatewayweb.org. That's our new website address. If you haven't been there, it's just been up a week. Come see us online, gatewayweb.org. Send us an email, gc at, and uh, tell us when you see someone having a need. Oh, we're talking about the practical stuff. Uh, my neighbor they ne- needs a coat for her child to go to school. It's snowing outside. Well, you know, you get the idea. Uh, I know uh, a single mom just needs a refrigerator that's colder than it is outside, you know. Uh, my, uh, somebody needs uh, two tires 
here's the size. I know it'd be a miracle if anyone had the right size tires, but who knows, you know? And immediately I'm thinking, wouldn't that be an awesome thing? You can, you can be uh, working with people in your Oikos and your extended network of relationships, and you can be saying, you know, hey, I don't know, someone at my church might be able to help you. Can I just tell them about your need? And they're like, yeah, who's going to have tires that are 15 or, you know, whatever. And I'm just like, oh, God's smiling about that one. Like, that is too good to be true, right? So anyway, you can send us a need and and let us know. I I know someone. I'm willing to be a contact person. Just practical stuff. Then you can also send us an email and say, sign me up. Subscribe to our email list. And once once a week or so, we'll send you out what we know. It's kind of like our own little recycle list, if you will. And if you can meet a need, that's fine. And just looking at it helps us, I think, remember, what are we about? We're about other people. We're about helping others. That's what our lives are about. We're following Christ. Think before you take. All right. Think before you speak. Yeah, that's, that's a good idea. <laughs> but why? You know, when we when we kind of have that admission like, oh, I should have thought about it before I opened my mouth. A lot of times I think we're thinking at that point about the trouble we're in. Paul's going to go a little deeper. He's going to go one better. Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So, he says, don't talk, you know, just for your own benefit. Do communicate for the benefit of others. Why? Kind of an interesting one, he says, because God has already established your value. He's sealed you with the Holy Spirit. Now, we'll talk about more about that in just a moment. If, if you're really following Christ, if you're really picking up your cross, how you communicate will be guided by what's in the best interest of others. Let me just tell you, that is really, really hard. You, you don't, you know, you're not going to see that very much out in the world. And if you try this, people are going to use you a lot. Because people like people who will listen to them. I just, this is just kind of up front. You got to you got to know what's going to happen here. When you live like Jesus, you got to know what it comes with. But that's what following Christ is about. Now, he gives this example of the thing not to do as unwholesome talk. Well, you know, what's his point? Let me ask you this. Can you honestly think of a time when someone being vulgar or abusive or obscene is in someone else's benefit? I, I seriously doubt it. I don't know. I don't think so. A couple years ago, a few years back, my wife and I were a really nice day. Like today, only about 25 degrees warmer. So we were out at uh, beaches right on the river having lunch outside under the umbrella, the water, you know, and the jet skiers are there. And it's, it's a really nice day. And the barbecue pork sandwiches. Anyway, I'm getting hungry. So... So we're just enjoying lunch when these two guys come in, and I don't know, they're like 25, 30, something like that, and they sit down in the table next to us, and, okay, I'm not exaggerating. 
every third word, maybe every fourth word was an obscenity. So you, you sit back, and at first you're like, oh, man, you know, it's like in the old days when you get on a plane and there's someone smoking next to you, you know, it's just like, ah, why did I get this seat, you know? And uh, so at first it's like, ah, oh, you know, and then it's like, are you kidding me? How, how long can you sustain this? <laughs> and then it gets comical for how ridiculous it is. You know, it's like, you don't even hear yourself, do you? And then it gets really, really sad. <laughs> it gets really, really sad. Not because my ears are offended or, oh, he's a pastor and don't, you know, because I, we experience that sometime, you know, people will be like trying to shut the mouth of their child or something. Don't, the pastor heard a word. Ah! <laughs> just really, really sad because you realize what's happening. Here is a desperate, desperate, vulgar man, but a desperate man saying, please, are you listening to me? I have to go into a restaurant. Will someone, you know, this is what every third or fourth word means. Will you please listen to me? Does anybody think I'm cool or, you know, whatever in his vernacular it is? Does anyone value me? Does anyone want to hear from me? And it's really, really sad. Now, that, of course, is just swearing. And again, that's just the extreme. But there's all kinds of other forms of communication that are, please listen to me. And see, this is why Paul makes this point about the Holy Spirit. He's saying, oh, you don't have to do that. Understand what it means to be sealed by the Holy Spirit? That's a, that's a picture of a mark where God says, you're mine. You're treasured. You're valued. You are worth the price of the blood of my son. You don't have to keep. You don't need those words. You don't have to keep talking after people are done listening. You could, you could be in this for other people. They see, they don't understand what, what you understand. They don't have the opportunity to know that they're treasured, they're valued, they're part of God's family, so of course they're hungry, of course they're crying out, of course they're desperate. You could, you could listen to them for their best interest. A lot of times we, you know, we know we should listen more, and sometimes we get as far as knowing, I know I need to understand that person, but it goes beyond that. You, you listen so you can understand so that they can feel heard. <laughs> it's about them. It's about them. See, will you lose your life or will you find it? Jesus says, follow me. Trust me in this. Give it away. You'll find life. You'll find life. I've sealed you. I've sealed you. And then think before you respond. You know, you got hurts. 
hurtful world. So, of course, it's hard to come up with an appropriate response to people and situations and life, he says, get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. See, don't try and, here's the formula, don't try and punish people, don't try and get even. You do need to forgive them. Why? Because, well, of course, it's obvious. God's already forgiven you. You can't gain freedom by getting even. Let me just suggest, if you haven't thought about it before, billions before you have tried, and no one has succeeded, of getting free from the pain of being hurt through revenge or getting even. It has never worked, and it never will. Here's the nice thing, though. God doesn't put us in a place where he says, you know, just just die to all that hurt. He doesn't say you have to minimize your pain. He says, magnify your healing. Magnify what I have done for you in your life. As In Christ, God has forgiven you. Here's what I believe. People with a deep, deep understanding of how they have been forgiven. People who wake up in the morning and they think, wow, the grace of God. The grace of God for me. The cross was for me. I am a forgiven person. How about that? People who think these things are equipped to be forgiving people. And that is the path to freedom. It will never come by punishing others. Bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander. Whatever it is you do when you're hurt and you're not following Christ, (laughs) that won't do it. Be people who understand deeply that you are forgiven. You see, here in our series in Ephesians, we come now to a section, really kind of a lot of the rest of the book will start Start sounding a little bit like rules, don't be fooled. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you are people who have the opportunity to understand what God has done for you, what Christ is making of you, and it transforms your life to now you are people who want to tell the truth. Who love others enough to give them the truth. Who understand grace enough to forgive others. And on and on it goes. What a great thing to be in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, again for your word. We thank you for the opportunity for you to come and mold our lives And uh, Father, I pray that uh, this morning, above all things, uh, 
you would help us transform our thinking. That our thoughts this week would be filled with the, the thoughts and the approach to life of the Lord Jesus. Who lived with such majesty and glory and love and compassion and grace. And everything that is good and wonderful and holy and righteous. And, and desirable and satisfying and rewarding and comforting everything that is good. We want his life in us, Father. Help us realize that this week. In Jesus' name, amen. this weekend. We hope to see you again soon. Have a great week.